0: Welcome to Coach House Talks. So, we recognize that God is faithful now. We recognize that our hope is in the fact that God will be faithful to the end. And we see from our Bibles that actually God was faithful to all of his people, whether they ignored or not. Okay? But there are certain consequences of ignoring. You see, it's a covenant promise made to the Israelites or to the Jewish people, given to Abraham to make a nation, give them land and be a blessing to all the nations of the earth that should determine their efforts and focus. And yet what we see is a rejection time and time and time again of God's love. God's covenant promise. I promise to make you this. I promise to give you land. I promise to make you a people. I promise to give you safety. I promise to look after you and provide, and we go, thanks, but no thanks. We'll go our own way. And this rejection of God is never, ever going to end up well. And all of us in here, we experience, I hope, the understanding that God provides for us through Jesus. But if we haven't got that, folks, it's not going to end up well. Because that's what the Bible tells us. Even before the national split for Israel, when there was a unified kingdom such as David and Solomon ruled over, there were problems arising. We know of David's failings, We know that he did lots of things that he shouldn't have done, but we also know that he had a heart after God's. He recognized God's calling on his life and the responses he made, even during failure. Writing Psalms. Oh God, I reach out to you, I recognize who you are, even in my failings. And Solomon took over the throne and governed over a kingdom at peace. But the seeds of destruction were showing. Solomon let the fame and the fortune get to his head. Precisely what God had warned the Israelites against doing. So let's just have a quick look at Deuteronomy 17, verses 16 and 17. God says this. The king must not build up a large stable of horses for himself or send his people to Egypt to buy horses. For the Lord has told you, you must never return to Egypt from where I've redeemed you. The king must not take many wives for himself because they will turn his heart away from the Lord. And he must not accumulate large amounts of wealth in silver and gold for himself. Solomon's alarm bells must be going... I don't know about beep, 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 beep. They must have been driving in potty. But instead, he turns up radio too to drown it out. I'm going to do what I want to do. It's strange that the scripture is so clear and what appears to be when we read that an inconsequential detail. What's all this about horses? What's all this about, especially Egyptian ones? Why is God so interested in detail? Because he knows what Solomon's heart is going to be like. 1 Kings 10, verse 26. Is it it going up yet? What did Solomon do? He built up a huge force of chariots and horses. He had 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horses. Written down in scripture for you to take note of. Followed by, Solomon's horses were imported from Egypt and from Cilicia. Wow. That's some crushing detail to hear, isn't it? When God's expressly said, don't buy anything from Egypt, don't go to Egypt for your horses, don't even have loads of horses, Solomon goes, I'm going to have 12,000 of them, thank you very much, and I'm going to get them from Egypt. Boy, oh boy, is he flying in the face of God who has promised so much for obedience to him. Solomon's going, I'm just going to not listen at all. I like this tune. I'm going to listen to this tune instead. And if the horses weren't enough, well, we know, don't we, about the wives and how they dragged him into the worship of foreign gods So what about the wealth? Because Solomon was known for his wealth as well, wasn't he? Well, there isn't anything inherently wrong with wealth you will be pleased to know. However, some details are interesting to give perspective and context to what's going on here. Firstly, it has to be said that God gave Solomon wealth and riches. Famously, when Solomon asked for wisdom, God was pleased with his request. And he offered further blessings on top of the wisdom that he asked for. 2 Chronicles 1 verse 12 reminds us, I will certainly give you the wisdom and knowledge you requested, but I will also give you wealth, riches, and fame such as no other king has had before you or will ever have in the future. And God was true to his word. We must be careful that we don't step out of God's provision and purposes for us or his intentions for our our lives. It's fairly clear that Solomon turned away from God. And as such, the blessings that God has promised him will dry up. Okay? So we are told that Solomon was actually harsh towards the people that he ruled over, especially people from other lands, Especially the people from the north, using them as slave labor to build the temple and other infrastructures, were also informed that whilst God had promised riches, Solomon imposed harsh taxes, especially on those who belonged to his own flesh and blood in the north of the kingdoms. 1 Kings 10, verses 14 and 15. Each year, Solomon received about 25 tons of gold every year. <laughs> That's more than Pog was on, isn't it? This did not include the additional revenue we received from merchants and traders, all the kings of Arabia and the governors of the land. The governors of the land bringing gold and riches to Solomon. Now, interestingly, if you kind of have Bible notes... 25 tons is also 666 talents in Hebrew. Okay, so if anything shouts out and gives you a not-so-subtle hint that this was a scheme of man, even the weights tell you God's not in this. This is man doing this. Taxation in order to maintain wealth. I thought God was going to give Solomon wealth. Surely he didn't need to go about generating it for himself. And this taxation would drive a wedge between the tribes in the north and the tribes in the south. And what was once unified was fast approaching division. Now, if you remember back to Jamie's talk that he did on Joshua, not too long ago, when the promised land was conquered, it was by how? They entered the promised land in the middle by crossing the Jordan and went to the first city they went to. Jericho, well, good, history lessons are working. (laughs) They went to Jericho. How did Jericho fall? Was it by might? No, they walked around seven times and then the walls fell down because God was showing that he was the one that was in control. And if you remember, Joshua's tactical plan, and he was such a good tactician, was he went through the center of the land and then split north and south and conquered it. Divided it and conquered it. This is going to happen in reverse now, and exactly along the same lines. The north and the south divide is along the same line that Joshua initially came into the land and conquered it by splitting it. Divided, the nation is about to fall. And not surprisingly, the dividing line was the same line that Joshua introduced when he conquered the land in the first place. It's like God's rolling back just to remind them. Everything that happens, everything that God does reminds them of what he's done. Yeah? So when you came into this land, I'm just going to remind you this is how you conquered it. And how am I going to remind you of this? Well, I'm going to remind you by just rolling it back to the same borders. That's what you want. That's what you can have. After Solomon it seems apparent that his son, Rehoboam, will ascend the throne. Now, this is in accordance with God's promise, that for the sake of David, Solomon's father, he would not remove the kingdom from his son. However, once Solomon passes, game over. God is going to move. 1 Kings 11, verses 11 to 13. So now the Lord said to him, Solomon, Since you have not kept my covenant and have disobeyed my decrees, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your servants. Which is actually what he does. A guy called Jeroboam. But for the sake of your father, David, I will not do this while you are still alive. I will take the kingdom away from your son. And even so, I will not take away the entire kingdom. I will let him be king of one tribe For the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, my chosen city. So he's given rule over one additional tribe, okay? His tribe and one other. Rehoboam, Solomon's son, acts really foolishly. He had a chance to bring all of this together for good. So when the tribes from the 10 kingdoms of from the north come along, they come along to confirm his kingship, okay? You're Solomon's son, so therefore you will be the king that rules over it. So they all come gather in order to confirm his kingship. But they have a request for him. They say and they point out, listen, Solomon was a harsh ruler. And he taxes us. Will you reduce the tax? Will you reduce the tax burden on us? Will you make our life a little bit easier? Because we notice that the guys down south that are really, and we notice this today, don't we? The guys down the south, they get better than we do. They get infrastructure in place. They get everything coming to them. We don't get diddly up here. We we could have the same complaint, couldn't we? And Rehoboam listens and says, what do you reckon he says? Beep, 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 radio 2. No. Not. Not a chance. In fact, going to make it worse for you. Going to be harsher. Going to demand more from you. And he refuses to help them. And in that instant, the 10 northern tribes become known as Israel, and they split away from the 12 tribes, leaving two in the south and 10 in the north. The 10 become known as Israel and take Samaria as their capital when they should have Jerusalem, which now is in the south. So Jerusalem is the capital, but they can't get to it. So we'll have another one, it'll be all right. And in fact, as time went on, they had in every town, in every city, a shrine to foreign gods every town, every city. And the two tribes in the south became known as Judah. So the words of the Lord given to Samuel when the people asked for a king should have come back to them with crushing, crushing clarity. Because this is what was said to Samuel in 1 Kings 8. He, the king that you demand, Okay, you want a king, this is what's going to happen. He will take a tenth of your grain and your grape harvest and distribute it among the officers and attendants. He will take your male and female slaves and demand the finest of your cattle and your donkeys for his own. He will demand a tenth of your flocks and you will be his slaves. But when that day comes, you will beg for relief from the king that you are demanding, but then the Lord will not help you. My goodness, there's some crushing words falling in on them that they should be reminded of as they stand there. You see, Solomon and Rehoboam were consistent in their lordship over the other, tri- the other tribes. They both demanded slave labor, and they both demanded taxes for funding their big, huge building projects. The northern tribes vied never to have a king from the line of David rule over them. And they went their separate ways, taking one of Solomon's aides, Jeroboam, as their king. Remember, one of his servants, Jeroboam, one of his aides, became king of the northern tribes. They took Jeroboam, you can be our king, and this was to be the first of many poor decisions. The Bible records that every king that they took to themselves, every king, was evil and did not follow God. They had 19 kings in all, following Solomon or Rehoboam's kind of removal. 19 kings, none of which followed God. And perhaps the worst and most famous of these is Ahab and his wife Jezebel, which you will have read about, I'm sure, and know that um, Elijah and Elisha specifically were on their case. The southern tribes of Judah had 20 kings, but they had eight of them that showed faithfulness to God and were known as good kings. Hezekiah is perhaps the most well-known because he managed to push back. So if you remember, so what's going to happen is the Assyrians come in and they take over the northern kingdoms and halfway through that, they try and take over the southern kingdoms as well. And Hezekiah actually pushes them back and, and they don't invade the southern kingdoms. But it's really important to note here the difference between a good king and a bad king is not their economic or warfare success, but whether they followed God's laws and commands unswervingly. Whether they were faithful to the covenant promises that God had given to Abraham and Isaac and to them. Now, just in case we think that God just abandons us to our own devices, which is... uh, Remember the video now. (laughs) Okay, just when you think all is lost, there's a push. Just in case we think God just abandons us to our own devices, there is a ramping up of God's voice to his people. He doesn't let his people just slip away. And like the quickening beeps of my warning system on my car with its incessant irritation... So the prophets are sent by God to warn, command, proclaim, and admonish the kings of the ten tribes of Judah, Israel to the north, and the two tribes of Judah to the south. Follow me with your heart, come back to my covenant or suffer the consequences. See, this is where we get in our Bibles that people read it and they skim read it, and they go, you know, God's very harsh. He really is not very loving in the Old Testament, is he? He's like, what's well, smite, smite, smite. No, God's full of faithfulness and love and chance after chance after chance after chance. And if we look at the big picture, that's the big picture. God never gives up on us. We give up on him. And the consequence of this failure to turn back to God is for the kingdoms to be taken into exile by their enemies. And the place of rest that God had provided for them, the promised land, place of rest, this place of rest was now to be taken away. First to go, unsurprisingly, was the north, Israel. They had no good kings. They were swept away and taken into captivity by the nation of Assyria in 722 BC. And the Bible tells us in 1 Kings 17 of the reasons why. One, they worshipped other gods. Every city, every town had a shrine to false gods. They sinned against God who had rescued them. They built... Pagan shrines in every town and city, just to show where their hearts are at this point. And they did not listen to repeated warnings from God via the prophets. But all of this was under one big rejection. Remember the cry of derision that Jeroboam and the rest of the northern kings said? Do you remember? Do you remember what they said? Did he catch the line that was in Scripture? We will not allow a king from the the line of David to rule over us ever again. Oh, that's a big statement. A big, big statement. Let me just read that from Scripture just so we can see. You haven't got this, Jamie, don't worry. 1 Kings 12 when all of Israel realized that the king had refused to listen to them when they asked for relief, when they asked for tax relief, when they asked them to be a good king over them, to do them and act honorably towards them. And he said, no. Their response was this. Down with the dynasty of David. We have no interest in the son of Jesse. Back to your homes, O Israel. Look out for your own house, O David. Oh dear. We do not want any king from the line of David ruling over us, said the ten tribes in the north. Now, I want you to think deep and hard about the consequences of that one. No king from the line of David will we ever have ruling over us. We don't want it. Who's from the line of David? Who's from the line of Jesse? Who comes to be the ultimate rescuer of God's people? Jesus, Jesus comes from the line of David. They are rejecting everything that God's got planned for them. And look what happens to them when they reject Jesus' rule. The northern tribes literally fall out of history at this point. Assyria comes in, takes them over, and they become known as the Lost Tribes of Israel. They are still known as the Lost Tribes of Israel today. I will put one proviso on that. God knows who belongs to him. But in terms of historical accounts, they fall out of history. They disappear, not to be heard of. They are assimilated into the cultures and the peoples where they're exiled. Now, the southern kingdom of Judah fares a little better because it's got one or two good kings over it. And they tried to bring Judah back into covenant relationship with God. As things would pan out though, all this would do would be to delay the inevitable. The people were too far gone. And after a particularly bad king, and if you want to read about him, he's called Manasseh, Judah was also taken into exile. 130 years after The northern tribes were taken into exile. Judah also falls. But to this time, to the Babylonian Empire, which is now taking over the Assyrians. So they've conquered the Assyrians, and now they come in and they take the southern tribes as well. In 586 BC. The ending, though, is a little bit different. So on one hand, we have ten tribes who have decried never to have Anyone from the line of David rule over them, disappear, never to be heard of again. Then we have the southern tribes taken into captivity. But listen to this at the end of 1 Kings, 1 Kings 25. Because God always gives us hope, always. He never, ever leaves us without a glimmer of hope. And even as they were taken into exile, it says this. 1 Kings 25, verse 27 to 30. In the 37th year of the exile of King Jehoiakim of Judah, I love this name. It sounds like something off uh, Doctor Who. Evil Marodach. <laughs> <laughs> Ascended to the Babylonian throne. He was kind to, Je- to Jehoiakim and released him from prison on April the 2nd of that year. He spoke kindly to Jehoiakim, and gave him a higher place than all of the other exiled kings in Babylon. He supplied Jehoiakim with new clothes to replace his prison garbs and allowed him to dine in the king's presence for the rest of his life. Hang on a second. We've been taken into exile and conquered here. Why on earth is this guy being allowed up to the king's table forever, for the rest of his life? And the king gave him a regular food allowance as long as he lived. You see, there's a glimmer of hope. God always gives us a glimmer of hope. To end the book of Two Kings, this, this end in the book of Two Kings is in place to show that God has not forgotten his side of the covenants. God is faithful. We sung it, we shout it, we declare it. here it is in black and white. God is faithful, and he remains faithful. He, unlike us, is a covenant keeper. when he makes a covenant, when he makes a promise when he says I will bless you, I will bring you, I will look after you, I will give you a promise, I will give you an eternity, I will give you a king who will be king of kings and lord of lords, and he will redeem you, he will rescue you. Guess what? He's faithful to it. He does it. And even when everything looks dark, everything looks bad, there's just this little glimmer of hope. Come and sit at the table. Come to the king's table and eat. The line of David was surviving. Joachim should ring a few bells because he's in the line of David. The line of David was surviving and one day the king will, or to them, would come. Even in this darkest hour, God provided hope and promise. And what I want to say to you today, and what I want to leave you with is this. Practically, That same choice is still before us today. Do we accept Jesus to reign over us? Do we accept a king from the line of David to rule over us? Or do we say, no, I am going to reject everything that God has done. I'm going to reject Jesus' sacrifice for me. I am going to reject his promises over my life and I am going to go my own way. Thank you very much. Do we accept his sacrificial gift, or do we continue in our own ways? And that is the big question that the Bible raises over and throughout Israel's history. Reject or take and claim? Live under the promises, live under the security, live under the covenant promise of God. Or say, no thanks. And that's the same decision that we have today, all of us in this room. Do we accept a king from the line of David, or do we say no? Thanks for listening. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and at www.coachhousechurch.org.